Hey, remember that time when Justin Bieber was on Despacito? <sighs> Don't we all? Alexa. So, okay. <laughs> Just like completely no, yeah, like, no, no response. None. <laughs> Singles, pussies fully reupholstered. My name's Alison. <laughs> we're fucking oh, doing we're it. Broken already. Yeah, we're fucking doing it. Um, <laughs> I'm Michael. You can find me on Twitter at regression with three S's. Where can you find you, Ali? At Allison underscore coffee. Uh, that's one L and Allison. Uh, give me money on Patreon, you fucks. Do it. Get give Ali money. <laughs> Patreon, give me my money, you fucks. You only gave me half the money the people pledged me, you pieces of shit. 45 seconds of bitching about Patreon. Still, please go to patreon.com forward slash Ollie Coffee. What, what other reason is there for suddenly moving your operation overseas? Anyway, we should talk about music on this episode. <laughs> on this episode, comma. <laughs> <laughs> um... Hey, so today we've got a follow-up to last week's episode, which was a sort of exploration of shit Ali doesn't know about dance music. Yes. Hastily recorded because <laughs> we... Fuck you! Like, didn't have time to do the full episode. But hey, I think it actually worked out for the best, because I think giving people time to listen to that playlist was the right choice, so... Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, that playlist being 18 tracks that I sent to Ali and we put in the... Description of the last podcast, just going through some of the tracks and the sort of pointers that we want to talk about today, because today we're going to talk about actual music and put a lot of fun clips in and listen to some stuff and it's going to be fucking ace. It's going to be awesome. I'm excited. Awesome. So unfortunately, we start off with the best track and it's only going downhill from here. So <laughs> I didn't want to say it. I think the okay the first two tracks are my f two favorite tracks. So the first four tracks are my four favorite tracks. <laughs> are you are you just like are you just not gonna get it? Because I'm like very prepared for I'm prepared for like intelligent back and forth, but I'm also prepared for at the end you just saying, "Cool, now nah, I'm just gonna like dip into disco, fuck dance music." <laughs> I don't know, some of these songs are alright. <laughs> I don't know, some of these songs are alright. A ringing endorsement <laughs> of the long tradition of dance music. Okay, okay. I'm gonna talk in the broadest terms here. Uh-huh. I'm gonna I'm gonna just completely be an asshole at the start of this. Do it. Do it. Okay. So I have little thumbs ups by the first eleven tracks on the playlist. Minus one. And then there you started putting a lot of like more electronic music in there and I just totally fell off. Better enough. Started just like and then like I listened to like a Google playlist algorithmic generated thing and it played a whole lot of beep boops and I was like, I don't give a shit about 
any of this, but I was in the shower and shaving, and so I just had to listen to it for 20 minutes. Oh, no. <laughs> you su- subjected yourself to the beat boobs. Yeah. I'm sure they were fine. I just, it wasn't for me. I like real instruments. I, I ho- <laughs> Stupid. Uh, goes back to the screenshot. Yeah. Um, arrested for kicking over the turntables, just shouting at the DJ to learn the fucking theremin. I've literally just been looking at that DM for days and just laughing at it every time I see it. Like, I will just... I will just scroll up to look at it and laugh at it again because it hasn't stopped being funny. Uh, well, can I just put it out there that all instruments are fake instruments? I was going to say all instruments are real instruments, You, but you're the one who has, like, history of science and philosophy bullshit, so maybe you're right. Yeah, no, like, like I'm not even going to pretend that this is anything meaningful. It's just me chatting shit at you <laughs> to try and wind you up. So, yeah... I mean, it's not at all surprising that you're getting on with the stuff that's, in adverters, more real instrument heavy. Mm-hmm. But I also think that, like, in talking through what you're liking, maybe we'll figure out that what you like is really specific to this. Yes. Or what you like can be found in other interesting ways yeah, elsewhere. I think so, too. All right. So let's actually start off with the music itself. So the first track on the list is Stand on the Word by the Joubert Singers, and it's the Larry LeVan mix. So, like, immediately when you heard it, you said this was great. Yeah, because it's a great song. It's a it's an absolute bop. And immediately I was just like, of course Ali just likes the gospel track. Yeah, no, that's just... It's called Stand on the Word because it's, you know, a Bible song, and I fucking love it. I, I do like how this, like, joyous Bible songs um, chorus, though, is We Must Not Question the Good Lord. Yeah. Which is, like... It, it it it's a slightly jarring thing to, yeah. to hear this like deeply empowering track with this like deeply brutalizing, <laughs> punishing, disciplining look almost mis- misanthropic message I do. It's just the seventies version of ultralight beams. Mm, okay. <laughs> because sure. like Kanye has just ended up being like I don't like Kanye's Christianity at all. Fair, fair. Alright. <laughs> So if you want 70s ultralight beams, but good and with little kids singing it. Hey, do not talk shit about ultralight beams. <laughs> 45 seconds of chatting shit about Can I A West. Let's not endlessly shit on Kanye because as fun as that might be, we, we, we're going to be positive. We're going to yes. be positive, Ali. Stand on the word. So the, a couple of things I wanted to point out first um, is that like, it's made by gospel musicians, clearly, but like, you have the the full baseline, the full like, orchestral, um, big sensibility of like old school, big, Philly sound disco, mm-hmm. and like the sensibility of gospel is clearly all there, and I think this is probably like the first in if you want to get into disco, 
is just imagining the the sort of the sound and the sonic material of funk and soul in a lot of ways but um the sensibility of gospel that it's devotional and it's um it's meant for personal and mutual uplifting right um and i think the the apocryphal story of this the larry levant mix um, being played at the end of all of Larry Levan's sets while he was resident at the Paradise Garage is pretty, like, informative. It's like, you want people leaving the space. Um, again, a super queer, a super, like, underground uh, space, again, where a lot of people are, like, dying from AIDS through this period in history. Mm-hmm. Um, you want them left with this, like, absolutely joyous message. Yeah. And I think it tracks perfectly onto like the the sort of like ethos of what disco started out as and i think makes it like a pretty just like on a personal and an emotional level i could not ask for a better way to introduce someone to like the idea of disco might not be what all of disco actually is but the idea of disco is really important here yeah because um, like some of the first disco songs i heard was um you know, as the Jackson 5 and Michael Jackson transfer transition from soul music in the 60s to funk to disco. And so, like, um, this is not immediately what I think of when I think of disco. But when I heard it, I was like, oh, that's what this is. Even though um, a lot of the soundscape is pretty different, you're not having any guitars playing 16th notes or anything. Yeah, exactly. This isn't the chic Nile Rogers like right. chugging guitar riffs and things. Right. Um, there is obviously a space for it, and that sort of music, like that very funk descended stuff. But um, I think you'll find a lot of like the things that mark out disco from funk is a bit more of the spaciousness and a bit more of the like lyricism and like reveling in this devotional aspect that it's got to be about voices like given space and given. Like exploratory time it loses some of the like in some ways it loses some of the jazz and gains some of the rock mm. in that in that transition but um like it's not exactly like disco was this like super clean idea in the first place there are all sorts of iterations of it and all sorts of interpretations of it and i think the one that i want to introduce you to is pretty well exemplified by stand on the word okay and yeah just as like a final point here larry levan himself um uh, New Yorker DJ um, I talked a lot last week about David Mancuso and the the sort of loft scene in New York right and the, if if that established the ideal of a club space then I think Larry Levan established the ideal of a DJ what a DJ in the DJ culture around them is and should be okay um, and yeah like I think him as a figure is like pretty important to the like as a historical figure to the development of the music, but also like, like a queer black guy in New York, um, super close friends with the the sort of icons of the Chicago scene where house was developing around this time, um, like all, <laughs> everyone in New York dying of AIDS at this point. Um, he himself dying from I think a heart condition at a very young age, mm-hmm. and that just like mixed in with this like horrendous mortality. Um, is like the biggest and best expression of what like life and like living it should be like and should be about 
and like that got expressed in clubs that got expressed on the dance floor of Paradise Garage where Levan was resident for a, for a very very long time hmm. Turns out the apocryphal stories are just false. There is a great article on Red Bull Music Academy digging through the history of this track. The link will be in the description. Alright, um... So yeah, you said the first couple of tracks were your favorite. Yes. Did Sugar Samba stick up? Sugar Samba, uh... I, I adored this. I ended up listening to, like, three or four more tracks off of, um... This Eminem Mixes album. I don't recall which tracks they were um i mean so while we're here um if you can pull it up and just make sure you can listen to it um have a look at the bottom mm-hmm. of that album for ain't no mountain high enough oh But yeah, you can see that Ain't No Mountain High Enough, the inner life version of it. Um, that track is absolutely iconic. Um, that version of the track, all 17 minutes of it. Yeah. Um, sort of, while there are clearly other versions of Ain't No Mountain High Enough that are <laughs> like known in pop consciousness better, there is one version that is stuck in like dance music history more than anything. Okay. And that's the inner life version of it and the, the John Morales produced version of it. Um, briefly, I know I tweeted about this. Um, something I am very much into about all this music is that it's all real fucking long. Yeah. Um, so this is, this is something to actually talk about because I, when I say this is well, well within the dance music tradition, it's like kinda, um, Sugar Samba is basically a pop track. Mm-hmm. It's just that you can hear it's been remixed, extended, and like produced in a way that means it's like uh, amenable to a dance floor. Particularly where you get section transitions that aren't like played. They're like clearly looped bits of instrumental where the previous section has just had to like have a delay slapped on it to like fade out over the next one. Mm-hmm. It's like, you can feel the stitching going on in this. And I think that's pretty like notable, but like that there is a sort of trajectory between like, think about dance music as like this ideal uh, place, an ideal culture, an ideal um, movement, an ideal social moment or whatever it might be. And then there's just the matter of it's like production over and over again in so many different studios and so many different environments. So, like, early disco and, like, probably pretty simultaneously to sound on the word um, is incredibly indebted to what's generally known as the Philly sound, um, where in the sort of late 60s through to mid-70s, um, uh, a few labels in Philadelphia started churning out, um, like, that, like, a whole stream of different genres, but, like, focused around soul r&b but the idea was like what we're going to do is turn it into an industrial production we're going to have an orchestra in-house we're going to have a brass ensemble in-house we're going to have this oh yeah 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 massive production churn based on like when people hear a record and it's got this string section they're going to know it's a philly record Mm -hmm. um and the throughout the um mid early uh sorry mid to late 70s 
exactly the same thing started to happen to disco. That particularly labels like Salsol, Salsol's the one that co- that comes to mind, and producers like um, John Morales, like they became go tos for like this like mass production of disco. Huh. And like just as much as the ideas of what disco was. The, the sort of uh, Disco Demolition Derby stuff in 79 was like, I think a response to that sort of like industrialization of music in the same way mm-hmm. uh, that, that you get that like, well, real music's made in a basement with a tin can and a couple of beers. Like you can't see me podcast listener, but I'm frowning at this. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not ideal. Um, but as well as it also just being horrendously racist and homophobic. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, so like, even this is a this originally got re- released in 1984, and then like, there's a John Morales edit of it, which is seven minutes long and huge and epic and sprawling, and just like in the transition from "Stand on the Word" to "Sugar Samba," you can hear like the drums toughen up; they get a bit more like yeah. recognizable as dance beats. They get more like functional in a way. Because I, you say this is a pop track, and I don't recognize it as that until the vocals come in. Um, oh, 100%. And then when I think about this track, like, I don't remember the vocals at all. I kind of just remember, like, the drum beat at the start and all that sort of stuff. Like, the the vocals don't stick in my mind. I mean, that that's sort of okay. Like, right. I keep forgetting who Julia is um, from Julia and Company. I don't think she had a particularly long and, like... A fruitful career but like that's fine too sometimes you just need a vocal as a hook for a track right uh, like i think and... she's almost an instrument on this track in the same way that like a lot of uh rap producers now will use a uh person as an instrument basically you, you have ad libs or whatever and they're just like there to do a functional job on a track right whereas you can tell like the thing this track is focused on is the interplay of drums and bass. Like, that's what this track is about. And it's been produced to emphasize that as much as possible. You can hear in all the technical decisions in the amount of space the drum beat gets and um, the amount of sections which are just basically drums and, like, percussion and a bit of fluff to keep the, the vibe going. Right. Um, but, yeah, like, what we're sort of starting to see here is, like, a recognition of, like, the production process being necessary to, like, turn like real instruments in inverted commas <laughs> into something that like it were into something that's like manageable for dance floors yeah. like it needs to be processed in a way that makes it work right and um one way to do that is this like incredibly technical incredibly like beautitious uh like disco production and another is to start going electronic and like the sort of hallmark of oh my god you can make all electronic tracks now particularly in disco, is Donna Summer's I Feel Love, where, like, K. Georgia Marauder arrives, bringing this European, like, like, analog synth history with it, and starts producing disco entirely out of boxes. And, like, that's a, another, like, milestone in, like, when the production of disco, like, changes materially. Hmm. I'm now pulling this up, and I, of course, I'm pulling up the 8-minute, 12-inch version. Oh, God, of course. <laughs> Fuck that, <laughs> fuck that six minute version up above it. <laughs> but yeah, speaking of that like arrival of fully electronic disco, um, Stramba, the next track, which just is and pretty much any Northern European language for beach bar, to be clear. This one, 
this was odd um it's another like nine minute track basically and i wasn't feeling it for the first four and then i came around in the back half of it and now as i listen to the earlier stuff i'm like no this was totally fine i was being ridiculous this is great yeah it's it's a it's a good beat uh, but just, also like i often think in terms of those like big payoffs when you get the like first the the big splashy um piano entrance and then secondly the breakdown with the the big jazz chord run I think always you need like to earn those and like I think the the first four minutes of the track is an exercise in earning payoffs later yes yes um which is like the thing that annoyed me when dubstep got huge was oh we're just going to drop the beat like every 12 bars <laughs> um I mean if it was every 12 that's actually vaguely interesting <laughs> <laughs> like if it's four or eight or 16 it's like uh, right i i tele i telegraphed this several months ago right oh god one, one thing i do need to send you is um someone did an edit of all the big room house tracks that made it into the the beatport track uh charts at some point mm-hmm. and it is just you know the um, you know martin garrix's animals not off the top of my head, but I'm sure if I like saw the album art or something. Yeah, so, uh, I mean it's it's one of those EDM tracks which just goes. I'd like yeah, you'll he- you'll hear it and you'll probably recognize it. It's the one that's got like a billion YouTube views. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But just like that snare and that kick drum are so utterly ubiquitous that you manage to put together like. 15, 20 of the 100 best-selling tracks in dance music at that point in time, and all of them were using the same kick, all of them were using the same snare. Yeah. All of them were, like, sitting right next to each other being this, like, big, beefy mess of kick and snare. They're just like, wow, you, you really went all in. So two thoughts. One... I am no drum expert, and I have heard this kick in the snare before. And two, mm. Martin Garrix is a fucking coward, because I see here Animals Extended, and it's only five minutes. So, <laughs> <laughs> come the fuck on, okay. Martin. <laughs> Sorry, he can't hear you behind the massive stacks of cash. <laughs> anyway, Strandbar is very good. <laughs> so the the reason I I brought that up was like the the thing that I think a lot of like interesting in inverted commas dance music has that a lot of EDM lacks is a sense of proportionality if that makes sense mm-hmm. that that it's got like I don't want to say song structure these aren't songs with like verses and choruses right but they but they have like in the same way. I get a sense that metal tracks do, or a sense that, like, I don't know, like, I th- th- I know your point of reference are, like, pop and rock and rap. Well, like, and, like when, when I first started listening to some Daft Punk, the thing that really got me about, um, uh, one more time, 
one more time has this like one idea that it then spends like five minutes just fully exploring any every nook and cranny of that idea you know yep and i feel like strand bar really does that and i feel like the stuff i liked best on this playlist did a lot of that and the stuff i didn't care for probably was also doing that i just wasn't tuned into it in the same way yeah no that's very fair so um like the idea of just like a big splashy disco beat and a cool electronic bass line and a big electronic piano mm-hmm. like doing this big um like almost slightly samba inflected there is a b-side which is just like a, a samba version. i'm actually listening to that right now and it's good as hell <laughs> it's good as hell but yeah the that like the idea here is like it's got one chord sequence that repeats you the whole track until you get to the breakdown where you get this like big jazzy run Mm -hmm. and then it goes back to the chord sequence and then that's it it's just it's an absolute workout and it's got it's like quite singular vibe and like i think the reason i wanted to include it is just like the the sort of like joyous like devotional quality of disco like might not be obviously apparent in the sounds of a lot of stuff now but i think the sensibility is there Mm -hmm. and if you do you want to listen to another track? Um, I think my favorite to sort of capture this, this like emotional space is a track called Balearic Incarnation. And there's a Todd Tellier remix of it. Okay. Oh, this drum fucking rules. It, the drums are, incre- the drums are incredible. Yeah. It's, it's well, if you like, it's another 11 minute track or something. Yeah. 10 minutes. Fine. But if you just like skip forwards, like, I'm okay with you butchering this to just listen to it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's okay, just yeah. that sort of like wide-eyed warmth that like is so rare to find elsewhere. Yeah. There's just like a genuine sense of like say hospitality or like closeness and intimacy that you get in this that like is so hard to find elsewhere. The like genuine hopefulness. Hey, there's genuine like hope and joy in this music, whether that's in this sort of like expansive uh, beautiful form in Balearic Incarnation or in the like raucous joyous party form in Stramba. Mm-hmm. because yeah I don't this doesn't make me want to dance in the same way that Strandbar does but this you know like I can imagine being in a club and like having a conversation while this one goes on and just feeling good you know and like taking a little bit of a break I'm, I mean also you get the chance to like when you do get the chance to dance to this because you want to dance to something truly joyous. Mm. Like, joyous, just, like, dance with a smile on your face and not have to work out. You just get to, like, feel this wash right. on you and, like, right. do do that sort of thing. And, like, maybe a Balearic Connection would have been a better inclusion because just, like, hey, disco doesn't just have to be, like, positive in the, like, hyperactive and intense and, like explosive kind of way it can be kind of like more sedate and more developmental and more like that like i don't want to say pleasant pleasant seems wrong but um a more you you need a break at some point and like this track is that so that you you need an even if you don't need a break from the beat you need an emotional break you need like right you need emotional like complexity and sustenance in your dance music and like even among only disco, just as like I was trying to do among pretty much all the tracks here, 
the point was to like explore the emotional depth you can get in dance music in all its facets disco house techno the ones i particularly picked out given they form a quite neat like historical chapter Mm -hmm. but um i think in all of them you find this kind of emotional complexity and like this is just two tortilla tracks um like two like tracks by a guy from norway who makes this sort of like weird cosmic electronic disco Mm -hmm. um just as a side note the name tortilla is a pun on an actual other person called Todd, uh, todd terry who is like one of the early figures in like new york's new york's house scene okay and coincidentally uh, a frequent and past collaborator with the creators of the next track um masters at work and this incarnation known as new um uh, new yorican <laughs> yeah i'd like i'm never going to attempt it because just like no i had a spanish teacher teach it to me and that's how <laughs> i know yeah new yorican yeah, yeah. Uh, just it rhymes with Puerto Rican, and like mm-hmm. all of a sudden it makes sense. I'm just like yes. New Yorkan. Yes, I had a Fuck. I had a Spanish teacher who was Puerto Rican, and uh, yeah, she taught us a lot of New Yorkan poetry. And so I saw this on the track list, and I was like, oh, cool. I hadn't thought about that having like a musical uh, movement as well. Yeah. So like when I when I think about it as a musical movement, it's like. I don't think as expansive and as, like, cohesive as a political movement that, like, literature I know is. Mm-hmm. But, like, the influence of Puerto Ricans in the American dance music is, like, vast, just as it is with, like, um, uh, African-Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, the two people behind the project are a duo who had known a lot of their other workers, Masters at Work, um, Louis Vega and Kenny Gonzalez, and basically, like, after this is in the late 90s it's i think 1998 release Mm -hmm. and they just decided they want to do a project where they made house music they made dance music but just reintroduce a lot of like latin and jazz and like like a lot more of the vocal elements that had slowly been stripped away as like the the music got a bit more focused and a bit more dance floor ready um and like a big part of that is adding this big booming vocal on it yeah I love that when you first, like, when I first asked you for your thoughts, you said your two favorite tracks were Sound in the Word and It's Alright, I Feel It. Mm-hmm. And, like, clearly you just went for the other track that sounds like a gospel track <laughs> and should be a gospel track, except it talks about the groove and the rhythm and the beat instead of God. Right. So, <laughs> um, I just, as, like, a, a literary point, I think that's not a mistake that I think the idea of, like, dance music as a culture being godless is like it, it's not accidental that like the most marginalized people the queerest the most uh the the, the most racially disenfranchised and what could also be perceived as the ones that are like least proximal to god in this like classical right your piety equals like observance and obedience system yeah but like you find the same kinds of features just like in the the big 
leading vocal, the call and response, the big choirs, um, the the like, the iconography of like the the house diva of the like the female black vocalist up front, belting mm-hmm. to like bring everyone to their feet. Right. Like a lot of the iconography and a lot of the imagery is like trying to find a secular, trying to find a like bedeviled version of gospel in my head. Mm-hmm. Well, and as a somewhat kind of uh, Christian uh, trans person, like a lot of marginalized folks I know, know that um, like worship doesn't have to be in a church on Sunday and it doesn't have to, like it can be a lot more complex than how gospel music might traditionally present it, you know? Yeah, 100%. And like, and, that, and like, again, there is no mistake that there is a reason that Larry Levan says got turned into what was called the, I think it was a Saturday gospel. And like, mm-hmm. like, like the, you need someplace for celebration. And like, hey, if I can give you, here are all these sorts of facets of like genuinely celebratory music that like also rejects right. uh, like a lot of the normative shit that goes on in both gospel, but like broadly more other kinds of party music, whether that's just pop or right. like more, more normative ready versions of dance music. Right. But, but yeah, the track itself, like uh, coincidentally, Jocelyn Brown is like one of the vocalists who John Morales is like most closely associated with. Mm. Like, this scene is not small, but, like, it is tight enough that the the figures that, like, make it um, become icons and become, like, important to the, like, the visual culture. That, like, the idea of seeing that, like, a woman on the front of your cover, like, belting is, like, crucial to, like, the sort of image that House has at this point in time. And, like, I can think of all sorts of other vocalists. The other one would be probably most noted being Loretta Holloway. Mm-hmm. Who, like, carve out careers for themselves as, like, the the, sh- the the person singing in the breakdowns of dance music tracks. And, like, they're there to be, like, the emotional outlet for what the music, the, like, nominally in- otherwise instrumental dance music is trying to do. Sorry, I, I'm literally, like, listening to the song and just got lost in the song for a second when I think I was supposed to respond to what you said. No, that, don't need to respond at all. Are you just enjoying it? Yeah. It's just a good-ass song. Like, just, I'm interested. So, like, are there, like, musical elements that you're, like, getting hooked on with all of these? Um, It's hard to say because I'm listening to it just quiet enough so it doesn't pick up on the... Mike or obscure you. Um, it's it's hard to say until like I think maybe you're going to be able to help me con- contrast this with the stuff that I didn't care for and some other songs. And I think maybe once I can have that contrast, I'll be able to see better what I'm enjoying. You know. Um, Fair enough. Which actually. The next track is the first one that I recall not liking, and I'm going to listen to it while we talk just to see if I can change my mind. Fair, fair enough. So, um, a bit of a time skip here. Well, not a massive one. Um, in that, like, Sugar Samba's 1984, we then have, like, two later tracks, Stramba being uh, 2010's It's Alright, I Feel It being late 90s. Mm-hmm. And then we're back here to a track that first appeared, I think, like, apocryphally, 
it like did the rounds on a lot of DJ sets in the very early 90s and finally got released in 94. Um, and the label it's on, you can see from the artwork, is a label called Strictly Rhythm. Mm-hmm. Strictly Rhythm being the probably the most important and iconic New York um, deep house label. Um, this is like, I wanted to present some sort of like, not archetypal, but like, this deviates from what deep house sounds like in some obvious ways. It's like a bit bigger, a bit splashier. Um, Satoshi to me goes on to like, be very firmly in the like Daft Punk school of house. Mm-hmm. So I think you consider presage some of the more like big, um, impactful stuff in how um, like brash some of the synths are compared to what the uh, the rest of the deep house thing was doing at this point in time. But like, um, this is I sort of wanted to just make sure you had in your mind there is deep house that doesn't sound like either tropical or. Uh, a remix of um I'm trying to think what awful deep house remixes we had. <laughs> we've had a we've had a lot. Um So while you're trying to think, two thoughts as I listen right now. One is that if I was going to if I were making a film set in nineteen ninety four and I needed just a club song, this is what I would a- absolutely pick because this before I listened to much dance music, this is exactly like what I thought dance music was, which I think huh. actually of just like the the drums and the synth, you know, is just yeah. what I think dance music is, which I think is why I did not immediately respond to this track because I thought I knew what it was before I really listened to it. And now as I'm like, trying to give it a more earnest second chance as we talk. I'm like, oh no, this fucking rocks. This is awesome. <laughs> ah, sweet. Um, so like, I think the notable things that even if it is a bit brash compared to some of the other Deep House stuff that I could throw at you, mm-hmm. um, it's still really jazzy. Um, it's still it's still got the house like shuffly syncopated drums. It's still got a chord sequence that deals entirely in um like uh, non-functional harmony. Right. And it's it's still got some of that like jazz crunch that I think makes it more interesting when you get the opportunity to just like have drums and bassline or whatever. Right. I would I would totally believe that um, like the drums here are not quantized, you know, because they sound the syncopation is like just throwing me off enough. You know? Yeah, so what I think it's more likely is that you've probably got both an electronic kit and a sample there together. I think so. I think so. So I think you can probably hear... I don't know if it's a James Brown sample. I can't quite hear in the background, Mm -hmm. but like... It's probably um, a James Brown song. James Brown gave us every single drum sample ever. Every every (laughs) single drum break ever. But like, you can just about hear that sort of like yelp in in the background of the drum beat. And like, I think you can... Like, this has enough of that sort of, like, coalescing of the, like, analogs, well, analog synths, some of the more, like, brash digital sounding synths, some of the, like... Oh, I just got to the breakdown. Holy shit. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) I'm losing my shit. (laughs) Amazing. Let you lose your shit over there. Um, One of... Yeah, uh, I will talk about it when we talk about it. 
One of these other tracks did a lot of like playing with tempo that I got really into, but I have no recollection which one it was. I think it was the theme of Legend. It's a quirk of this track. Um, but yeah, like, I, I sort of more than anything wanted you to have an idea in your head of what Deep House was that wasn't like... Um, the, the, the track that comes to mind is a bit mean because, um, like, I respect him as a producer, but My Love by Route 94. Mm-hmm. You just give that a Google. It's yep. a Jess Glenn feature. Like, very, very British, clearly. Like, it made it to near the top of the British charts. And Jess Glenn's like a moderately successful British singer. But, um... Yeah, I've heard this a billion times, I think. Yeah, and it's just, like, quite stodgy and boring. Yeah, I've heard this beat. I have heard this beat. Yeah. This is, like, the beat that I thought all dance music was for some time. Yeah, so, like, this is... I sort of wanted to re-engineer what Deep House sounded like in your head from this to something more jazzy, mm-hmm. more, like, capable of being complex more capable of being rhythmically dense as well as being introspective. And I think, like, the um, if I wanted to just, like, okay, I want something that isn't at all brash, um, another Strictly Rhythm track that I've got in my head is After Hours Waterfalls. Is it Feel It uh, slash Waterfalls? Yeah, that should be the record. Um, all of the tracks on that release are good. I'd probably go for the 4am th- mix. It's longer, so I'm doing the 4am mix. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like when you think about deep, this has got this has got a fucking flute, okay? Nice. Yeah, like there there are levels of depth, mm-hmm. and like there's the faux deep you get in modern, um, uh, deep, modern in inverted commas deep house that like resuscitated the the word, even if I don't think it has much to do with the original. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is just like the whole spectrum of what sort of dance music people were putting out in the early '90s, and like. It ranges from that um, after hours track, which is like incredibly smooth, like almost like like soporifically so, to the Satoshi to me track, which is like it's jazzy and complex, but which gives it some like depth, but it's also still very clearly like right big bold dance music. Um, and I'm glad like that's something you can get on with when you get past like the superficial like not really recognizing what it is and how it fits. Right. So yeah, the next track is another New Yorkian, uh, <laughs> another New Yorkian soul track. Um, I include this because not because I think the the moniker is particularly important, but like the people behind it, Masters at Work, are like pretty like central in house history. Mm-hmm. Like they've probably been the most prolific, uh, like iconic producers of like the New York house sound like it tends to be called garage house um um and the thing that marks this track out is special alongside just an exceptional chord sequence which is super jazzy and right. super like I was like this one I don't remember this one and then like I heard that little do 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 and I was like yeah I know this one
yeah, it's exceptional. Uh, also, just like the best retooling of what always is a baseline in other people's songs to be a melodic element. Like, this fits um, synth sound is like, uh, the probably the most iconic version of it is Robin S's Show Me Love. Mm-hmm. Um, which, like, that's where people remember this, in inverted commas, house baseline from. It's just that they took that stock sound and turned it into this, like, uh, this, like, off-kilter, like, bell-style lead, which I just love. It's, like, a recontextualization of a sound I'm intimately familiar with and I'm very grateful for it. Right. Uh, like, the reason it's on the um, New Eureka Soul uh, moniker rather than just Master Work is probably because it's got, like, some live drums and some live brass playing. Okay. But, like, it fits alongside a lot of the, like, big production of um, New York Garage House that um, this label, Nervous Recordings, is, like, absolutely famous for. Yeah, I was going to ask you, because it's on this album called Nervous House 20. Is this just a collection of artists on that label? I assume so, but Nervous Recordings is, like, one of the the big, iconic um, New York House labels. Mm -hmm. And I think, like... They they have a very particular sound that is like I don't again, like I don't know whether you'd be familiar with that as what house sounds like. If you were to ask me what house sounds like, it would be like a slightly less uh like played version of Nervous Track. Mm-hmm. Uh I don't know if it's on Google Play, but if you can find it, the Carrie Chandler atmospheric remix of the systems you're in my system. Remind me why we were talking about this. So, like, what that, like, prototypical New York garage house sound is like. Right. And, like, for me, if you were to say, what is house music? I'd probably say something on Ibadan, like, a Kerry Chandler track, or something on Nervous, and, like, this, like, somewhere between Nervous, uh, Nervous track and You're On My System remix. Okay. It's like exact, exactly what I have as my head is like, uh, house music. I'm really vibing with this, so. It's, it's great. Um, just the, just the chords, just the chords. Yeah. It's just magic, magical. Yeah, for um, sure. All right. Um, so like what I think for a lot of other people, uh, house music means is like Daft Punk. Yeah. So we've got Voyager now and I, um, I picked Voyager for a reason. Um, yeah, Voyager is not one I immediately think of, even though it's a bop, you know? Yeah, it's an incredible track, and I'm like, I'm glad you recognize that. At the same time, it's, um, it, like, deviates enough from the sort of, like, in inverted commas French house mold that I think there's, like, an interesting, like, counterpoint to be drawn from it. Mm-hmm. If I wanted to just show off the um like the uh the the um French house like archetype, which is 
disco sample looped slightly too fast, a big old drum beat, and a filter sweep, I'd have probably played something like High Life, um, mm-hmm. which is also on um, uh, on this album, on Discovery. I ended up just listening to this whole album again the other day. It's still fucking great. <laughs> Amazing. Um, alternatively, something like a bit more raw would be Revolution 909 off Homework. Mm-hmm. Um, and like those like very much conform to the like like the structural elements you expect from a um a dance music sorry a french house track mm-hmm. what that means generally though is like you get tracks like this where daft punk just like do something slightly different and it's been inducted into the canon of what french house is mhm because they're like such a larger act than so many people are Exactly. Okay. And the like, they've like imprinted an, an entire scene, an entire like moment in European dance music culture, just into their them them singularly. So like, when they decide to do something marginally different, the culture travels with them. Um. But yeah, like those tracks have the like are very unmistakably house tracks in the way that the New York garage house tracks are house tracks. They're like shuffly syncopated beats. Right. Um. Like choppy synth samples or why choppy synth parts or samples and the 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 sort of like the like mark out criteria of um french house is that filter sweep that just like you use for dynamics usually where you just cut out all the high end and like turn it into this like it sounds like you're in a basement slowly bring it back in when you want it to go big again so i want to ask you a question about french house that has nothing to do with anything on this playlist oh please so um what the fuck is justice yes yes <laughs> What the <laughs> fuck is Justice? <laughs> so, Justice slash uh, Justice, if you're actually going to talk in English. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they are... They are French house in so much that they are French and they're making, like, housey dance music post-Daft Punk. Mm-hmm. What they are also is definitely way more hard-edged and way more electro than... Um, I was... So, I was listening to... So the the reason I found Justice was because like everybody and their mother loves that um Cross album. Yeah. Um and I was listening to it and I w- I thought it was a metal record for the first minute. <laughs> and I was like what is happening? But doesn't Genesis start with the big brass hits? That is a yes. So I'm um, like I purposefully didn't like enter into traditions other than like house what all coming from disco disco house techno like there are clearly other forms of dance music out there Mm. electro being one of them and the sort of like division lines between particularly electro and techno but also in some cases electro and house Mm -hmm. are very limited so when you someone says electro house what they generally mean is that sort of pre-edm period where any like aggressive um 
hyperactive, messy, like distorted dance music. Mm-hmm. Just these being a perfect case example of it. Um, still fit a sort of quite regular four and the fourth pattern. So like I think Genesis is probably the um, like the 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 obvious one to go to. Um, so like you can tell here, this is a four to the four track. It's got kick, snare, kick, snare. Right. But whereas Electro's hallmark frequently is that it it breaks out from four to the floor. Mm-hmm. It like has a pretty even emphasis across all the semiquavers. Like obviously it keeps a beat, but it like allows for different stresses. Whereas like house generally keeps the kicks on the fours and then like embellishes with syncopated percussion. But like you keep the kick and the snare. Okay. Justice is like stripped back so it's kick and snare really hard on the beat. No syncopation. Okay. That what that's what sort of drags it away from just electro towards house music. Okay. As well as this sort of sensibility of like grabbing samples and interspersing. But like the sound design very much doesn't come from a house lineage. The sound design is way more distorted, way more aggressive, way more biting. And that to me is like how you get the confidence of the two. That's what that's what threw me was like the 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 synth here is like nasty. <laughs> mm. It's like it's grease. It's yeah, like so I just like was googling French house because I was listening to Daft Punk and like like I say everyone loves Cross and so I just started playing Cross from the start and I was just not prepared to go from like house how sleek Daft Punk is to Genesis mm. just being like mean <laughs> yeah genesis is mean i'm not i wouldn't be surprised if it was in a lot of the soundtracks for a lot of mid-2000s driving games uh-huh for sure yeah um just like a couple of other tracks on that album that like stand out d-a-n-c-e is like their version of a dance of like a daft punk discovery like sing-along dance track right uh dvno is another like of the more like poppy housey versions of this track and then Waters and Nazareth I think is just a tear out like there are a lot of tracks on here which are just like they are just like electro tear outs that just sort of happen to be closely enough sonically aligned to Daft Punk like, in that early work at least to um call it French house or ha- electro house in inverted commas I'm, I'm listening to uh, New Jack now and I have just mm. I have never heard a um sample be this chopped <laughs> You know, there's there is some vocal sample going on here that is just like completely out of sequence. It's fucking wild. So like Daft Punk do this too. Mm -hmm. Like, don't mistake that. Right. You've you've heard stronger. Yes, I have. (laughs) Uh, You've also like probably come across tracks like Face to Face is the one that comes to mind, Mm -hmm. which is like a very early approximation of this, which um, is this like hyper edited, um, super precise vocal chop sample and manipulation. So like you can very clearly see a lineage, like mm. Dark Punk were introducing new techniques and like their own flair into dance music. And like just these like carried it on in a more extreme fashion. But like, this isn't brand new. Uh-huh. This isn't like out of nowhere. It might be for you, but like, there's, there's certainly a heritage to like chops and, right. and like uh, sample edits 
in this sense. And, like, one thing I certainly avoided was any of the sort of British dance music tradition, which, like, starts off with, like, particularly dub and then, like, feeds into drum and bass and later dubstep, where, like, sample chopping is, like, the entire point of it. Like, people take drum beats, they take breaks, and they chop them to fuck. Okay. And, like, that's the, that's, like, the backbone of what people are doing in drum and bass and jungle. So, like, that this is certainly isn't new, but it's, like... Uh, a notable point in the in the division between like the more like played out synth based like earlier house stuff and like the electro influences coming in like encouraging a sort of like juxtaposition of strong four four to four beats with like some real strong syncopation in the in these like heavy rhythmic samples but yeah like what you have I've the, I paid Voyager because it's not the typical Daft Punk track. It's a yeah. it's a Daft Punk track that sounds a lot more aligned to the sort of disco lineage than a lot of their other stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think more than anything, just like hey, we talked in the first podcast of this about the um, the narrativization that Daft Punk accomplishes by like attaching a big anime film story to the um, uh-huh. to, to the to the sequence of discovery, and like Voyager, like being more disco being more like spacious being straighter less syncopated and less busy um like just tracks onto like needing a different vocabulary for telling a different part of the story right well in like the best parts of random access memories are all when um it dips into that disco space you know yeah agreed i mean <laughs> do we need to do no, to random no. access memory? We, that's as far as we're gonna or, go. I just yeah was suddenly thinking sad. about Giorgio by Maroder. Georgia Marauder is like by such a large margin the most exciting track on that album. Oh, for sure. So yeah, um, now we're starting to get into the bits of the playlist that are a bit more. So like, I would expect you to start falling off of tracks at a more regular pace at this point. Where so uh, the the next four, I all liked, but like I noticed that I have like three plays on all these tracks because I like would come back. And there was something I was looking for there that I just wasn't finding on that first listen. Um, except Airglow Fires. I think Airglow Fires immediately grabbed me. Yeah, Eglifies is just an exceptional track. The um, the reason it's there isn't because like this is typical of new house music, mm-hmm. but more that like uh, this is a sort of like an example of one guy's method for breaking house out of its boxes. So in the same way that like French house like takes the old elements of New York style stuff I'm gonna and s- um I'm and like send you something. Like, ooh, please do. <laughs> 
But yeah, like in the same way, like Daft Punk like blows old disco samples out the water to create its house sound, and like filter samples are its uh, sorry filter sweeps are its like big like structural element. Uh, uh, some people just go like big and shiny and glossy, or some people might go like like venture more into dubby territory and get more spacious and a bit more uh, like internal and contemplative. Um, I just wanted to put a like an example of like. The, the like plurality of different ways that house can be done nowadays and like i thought eglifice was just like a very like fun way of showing you right so the thing when did airglow fires come out Ooh, um my guess would be 2013-14 okay okay because i have spent a great deal of my life listening to um the metroid prime soundtrack and the moment i heard that the moment I heard Airglow Fires, I heard the Prime soundtrack, and I just sent you, like, my favorite song ever. Uh, when was Metroid Prime released? Like, 2003, 2004, I think. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm not putting it past the dance music producer being influenced by a game soundtrack. That's a thing that happens. The way I heard it, I was almost wondering if that producer influenced Metroid Prime in a way. <laughs> Fair enough. That was the thing I oh, first the- heard when I was... <laughs> Um, and yeah, so I sent you Chozo Ruins, um, which is just a track that I think is phenomenal. And like Airglow Fires evokes a lot of stuff from the Prime soundtrack for me, um, mm. which I think Prime when I was 15 was like the first time I sat down and listened to an electronic music album, even though it was, you know, a video game soundtrack. But it was like Fair. the first time I was listening to not guitars. You're going to live with this world for a bit. And that world happens to be entirely electronic. Yeah. So, yeah, like, I'm trying to think what are the ways in which I think it matches across. I just need to do a bit of listening. So, like, the thing that's coming to mind is less to do with, like, the things I think that make Eglify is particularly distinctive, which is, like, that synth part and the, like, the raucous jazziness. Mm -hmm. But I think in terms of, like, the very played analog drums. Right. Like, the a lot of the time electronic drums are trying to disguise their electronicness. Like mm-hmm. you hear a lot of them where they're like laid with other samples to like, to like give them some humanity and some like flex. Whereas like by the time you get to now, we've lived with the, uh, drum machines for long enough, but like the aesthetic of a drum machine is just like fine. We can have that. Yeah. And, like, I think there's a bigger tranche of dance music now that's like very accommodating of its history uh, as like a really like, made on machines music mm-hmm. um, and then like I think Eglifies fits that not in terms of like the specifics like it's synthetic in a very different way but they're both like utterly synthetic and utterly like like plastic in a way and I'm just like I Lone as a producer like gets a lot of joy about how he bends his sound in a very plastic way mm-hmm. and I think like game soundtracks have been one of the places where like because you have to be so attuned to the demands of like tonality and mood. Right. Um, and that tonality and mood is often very unreal that like, it's been a platform for like some really interesting experimentation with this, like, like not very unworldly sound design, which I, I think totally fits. Yeah.
So um, yeah. This was this was one that I this was the first one. No, because I didn't care for the the theme, the legend, the first time. This was like, mm-hmm. I remember what this was. So I listened to a bunch of the playlist all in one go, and then mm-hmm. paused it. And Holy Dance is where I picked up the next time I listened to it. And Holy Dance just didn't make a large impression on me, I think. Um, Fair enough. But then when I came back to it, I got really into it. Fair enough. Hey, like, it's going to happen whatever way it happens. Right. I, I Again, think this is, like, so very much a dance music track that trying to active listen to it is always going to be a hard time. Yes. This was also the second time I listened to the... Uh, playlist i just started playing a game while i was listening to <laughs> um, yeah and so my attention was more divided through the second half um uh the first time anyway i listened to it all again um but like i think actually having my attention somewhat divided um works for this track i don't think it's doing anything flashy that it like demands my attention but it's still a good track despite that yeah totally totally so, like, again, the reason I put it on was, like, not so much because I think it's a particularly important track. I think it's really nice, not, like, stunningly miraculous or anything like that. But does sort of, like, mark a mood transition in a in a way that I really like. Mm-hmm. So the compilation it's on is by a, a DJ called Young Marco. Um, and it's collating a lot of, like, early Italian house music. Okay, uh, this leads me to another question I had, so. Ooh. Perfect. Um, what is a tallow disco? Yes. <laughs> Our friend Mo, uh, shout out to Mo, um, who should be on this podcast sometime? I don't know. Anyway, fucking loves Italo disco. And I kept meaning to listen to it and only ever listened to like one track before we were able to do this. So I just wanted like a, how, how might Italian music differ from like a lot of the f- uh, other stuff I've heard on uh, this playlist. So yeah, the um, the Italo stuff is it's called Italo disco. I don't think it's got like its origins embedded in like disco as we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. But um, what it certainly has is like it takes the um like Georgia Moroder style um electronic disco. And ma- maps onto it a sort of like eighties pop sensibility, like when you, if you watch any Italo disco videos, just like off like music shows, it's all like big hair, big mics, lip syncing, and like it's so commercial and so like charmingly endearing and trash. Okay, it's like very very fun. Okay, uh, the music the music itself sort of like fits in the um fits in the sort of like hinterlands between dance and pop music yeah it like takes as much from disco as it does from like synth pop and like new wave pop music that like it takes the very pop sensibilities of like song structure and marries it to like a sound that very much comes from like the electronic forms of disco. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so you end up with lots of like very interesting, very well put together, like lush sounding 
quite summery often, um, like electronic pop music, which is just like an incredibly pleasant time. And I think like the the reason I introduced um, Holy Dance was like to sort of just give a nod to Italo as a as a form, mm-hmm. but also because like the way that um, Italo disco sort of merges into the like the larger house tradition gives rise to, like as the, the like focus of um like the party scene in Europe like moved its attention between various places mm-hmm. um to what well, something we mentioned earlier is like a Balearic sound Balearic yeah referring to the Balearic Islands which is a, a archipelago of four large islands and a few small ones off the coast of um eastern Spain mm-hmm. one of which is Ibiza and Ibiza being like Europe's party island, the one where all the clubs are. I took a pill on Ibiza. And to show Avicii, I was cool. I, the, the, the amazing thing about that track is the man cannot pronounce Ibiza. <laughs> cannot. I'm, I'm, I'm like, it's Americans, they, they can do what they want as long as they don't come over here and tell us how to do what we actually do properly. <laughs> like dance music. <laughs> Sorry, that was that was a cheap and bad blow because all the good God's dance music started off in the states. <laughs> but but yeah, um, like Ibiza as like a a place obviously has a ton of different scenes going on in it at any one time. But like the sensibility of like quite pleasant summery European dance music, where like Europop comes out of it at various points that you get um, a sort of like, it's sort of, I feel it's important to just like triangulate where both the sort of like European image of dance music comes from, which is a lot more like pretty and summery and pleasant than I think the house American version of it is. Mm -hmm. And um, also to um, just like track where the different parts of Europe were actually doing their thing at any one time. So like, Italy had Italo Disco, which sort of fed very neatly into um, into uh, the um, Ibiza scene. And, like, France had its, like, iconic scene, which borrowed from a lot of Dutch and German electro. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Britain's doing something else entirely different at this point, but, like, has bubbling under the surface all sorts of different influences that would, like, explode in the mid-late 2000s. Like, just... It's a way to in- inform about, like, things are going on in all sorts of different places. They interrelate in very interesting and complex ways. And, like, you end up with tracks that, like, sort of sit at the margins of a lot of different things. Like, this is definitely a house track, but, like, comes very definitely out of Italo Disco's tradition. And it very definitely sounds like it could fit, if it came out a few years later, next to a lot of the lyric mood stuff. Right, right. So, um... Mood is definitely how I would describe that track. Yeah, it's incredibly mood. <laughs> and, then, and then, I think the last track we're left with is Sueño Latino. Yes. So, talking about Italo, 
Um, Sueño Latino is originally an Italo disco track. So yeah, so um, at some point in time, Derek May from uh, near Detroit, Michigan, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll say, um, gets his hands on it and sort of rips out a lot of the like pleasantry of it and makes it big and expansive in its first half and then turns it into an absolute like thrashy workout in its second half. Mm-hmm. And it's not this singular, singular track. Derek May's work is like long and historically very crucial and like a bit of a mess um, even when you listen to it, but also like fascinating to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, it marks the birth of techno. Techno is a scene that starts in Detroit out of like a small group of people okay. doing like very rough, ready, uh, like more like electronic and more like brutal versions of the sort of house music that was coming out of particularly Chicago, but also to some degree New York. Whereas New York like took that trajectory into a very like um, soulful, like a lot of the time in about to come is deep and mm-hmm. a lot of the time quite um uh syncopated naturalistic place yeah techno in detroit was just like upfront big loud um slightly raucous and messy and like sort of revels in it in a way this track is way older than i thought it would be yeah exactly um that the the first part of it sounds so fresh still which is like yeah. utterly remarkable and then like the second half of it is just like it's a workout it's a it's a it's just like that's what a dance music track well that's what a techno track often just descends into mm-hmm. it's just that sort of like sl- like splash of sound yeah and like um it's interesting to sort of track where the um the origins of this track come from originally it was um a, a sort of guitar ambient thing by called E2 E4 which is a fascinating thing to listen to, written by um, Manuel Gottschin, a sort of German composer, I think. Um, and yeah, it's like an early 80s, um, like weird new age, um, like guitar ambient exploration. And that like, at some point, someone decides in the middle of Italo's boom to like, put a beat on it and market it as a disco single and that turns into Sueño Latino and eventually that ends up forming the the chord sequence of the Derek May mix which is like pretty iconic as one of the like original big like coming out parties for techno um, as a movement as a scene okay Um, and yeah like I don't want to start like speculating as to how this influences later stuff but like this doesn't seem particularly different in kind to some of the messier bits on, say, the um, the Aguaray track or the Loop 7 track. Like, early 90s dance music doesn't differentiate itself particularly starkly just yet. Mm-hmm. But over time, like, certain elements of the, of the sound come to be, like, crystallized into techno. Mm-hmm. And pretty much the, like, final third of this playlist is very much, like, techno forming itself and like finding electronic music in different ways. Yeah. So like, I think when I say like house is played out at this point, I don't mean that to say like people can't do cool, exciting things in house. Lone is clearly uh, uh, like a slap in the face to that argument, mm-hmm. but it's the, our discussion like takes us to a point where we say like 
houses a very established form. Okay. Um, and people can tweak with the form, but like it is what it is, and it sounds like what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also been co-opted by the mainstream as Deep House or as Tropical House, and like that's its thing, and it's very divorced from what we're talking about here. But it's like what the public consciousness is like understood by house music. Yeah, I I can't recall, but I've definitely heard like various like pop songs on the billboard charts in 20 in the 2010s described as like tropical house you know and like i don't know i want to say that maroon 5 song with like kendrick lamar was maybe supposed to be a tropical house ripoff wow okay i did like i forgot that existed never mind that i hadn't listened to it and it might possibly be tropical house it's on that album called red pill blues so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I could be totally wrong. I remember hearing pop songs of now. I mean so like the 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 like obvious one is what do you mean? Just the Yeah, track. there it is. That's the one I keep thinking of. What do you mean? Um which is like plinky fake strings and like pan flutes. Yes. Uh, and yeah, that track is, I don't know why music critics got so enamored with it because it's one of the most like, both on a musical level, I, I could just like go on a 10 minute rant about the ways that track expresses disingenuous confusion. Yeah. It's a bad track. It's a bad track. I didn't realize music critics lost their shit over it. Yeah. No, music critics thought that Justin Bieber album was like actually good. And I had no idea why. Um, and I just think that, like, both in performance and in sound material, uh, What Do You Mean and Sorry are, like, incredibly creepy. And a lot of that is explicit text stuff. And a lot of it is also just, like, how disingenuous it is in just, like, stealing this, like, weird, uh, like, unbirthed house sound. And, yeah, mm, I'm not I'm not a fan. So I know we probably need to tap out for this session. Do we want to just um, release this as its own episode and do it in three parts? Or do we want to do a second session and stitch them together? I feel like do a second section and stitch it together. That's what I think so. That's what I think too. Um, Um, You idiots, you imbeciles. Of course you ran super long and needed to split it up into two episodes. The next Hot Singles Podcast... Part 3 of What the Fuck is Dance Music will be with you soon.